0: Houston and Austin tickets just went on sale. Here's what's going on. Houston, I will be there on Thursday, August 22nd. And Austin, Texas, I will be to you on Sunday, August 25th. That is a special birthday party show for me because my birthday is three days later. And it's sort of like technically my last tour date as a 44-year-old. Get tickets right now, jenkirkman.com. Here is to recap My show's on sale right now. Los Angeles Alive Having Funlessness podcast taping is happening. Oh my God, it's happening next week on June 25th. Get tickets for that. I'm giving away a ton of free merchandise at the show, things that you cannot get online right now. And I'll be selling and signing books after the show. July 26th, the Hollywood Improv. I am doing a big one-hour stand-up show. I haven't done one of those in LA in almost two years. And it's all material you haven't seen. I'll be selling and signing books after the show. And you can also make a dinner reservation so that you can combine both on that night. Here we are for the rest of America and Europe and Canada. Minneapolis, August 10th. Nashville, August 15th. Birmingham, Alabama, August 16th. Athens, Georgia, August 17th. San Antonio, that goes on sale next week. Wednesday, August 21st. Houston, August 22nd. Austin, Texas, Austin, Austin, August 25th. September 11th, I will be in Brooklyn, New York. Boston, September 13th. Toronto, on sale now, part of the JFL 42 Comedy Festival, September 19th through 22nd. One of those shows is a live having funlessness podcast taping. I will be in Del Mar, California, basically San Diego, on Sunday, September 15th, as part of the Cabo Festival, and I will be in London September 30th to October 6th, Manchester one night only, October 7th, Amsterdam one night only, October 9th, and Oslo, Norway one night only, October 12th. All tickets are on sale now, jenkirkman.com. You don't even have to go click the tour page. It's just right there, right on the homepage, jenkirkman.com. All the links are right there. I made it so easy for you. Now, please get tickets in advance. I'd really need to sell all these shows out. Tell a friend after you buy tickets, post about it on social media. Use hashtag JenKirkman2019. Funlessness, funlessness, funlessness. Having funlessness. Having funlessness. Having funlessness. With Jen Kirkland. I might end up changing that because um, things might go on sale before next week, but. I'll let you know. You can even keep this in if you want. Whatever I just said right now, let people know the behind the scenes of I Seem Fun. Everybody, it is Having Funlessness, episode 290. Oh, my God, that sounds significant. It's not. On this episode, I'm going to talk about Robert Downey Jr. might save the earth. The TV show Perfect Strangers holds up, or does it? I think it does. Um... I'm really dying to go analog, and uh, Generation X people are addicted to their phones, and our kids, I don't have them, but your kids, are worried about us. I think this is kind of a cool twist of events. And I tweeted something mean about Bill Maher, and it went a little viral. It went a little viral. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, so, yeah, I'm reading this article, and I kind of love, it made me so happy, because I guess people my age are addicted to our phones. And we're always like, "These kids today on their phones all the time. But you know, in a way, it's like people who've always had phones, and always had computers, they, they probably are less excited by it. But I think we actually are the ones that are addicted because we didn't have this stuff. And so you know, I grew up with typewriters and tape decks and then CDs. And I had to make the change. We're a very adaptable generation. You know, I've gone from eight tracks and albums to tapes, to CDs, you know, to MP3s, to, I don't even know anymore. Now I'm streaming. I don't even have a music collection. Um, You know, I've done VCRs and then DVD players and then I learned DVRs and now it's like streaming we've adapted to so much that as much as we remember the good old days of analog and you, you know, and I'm always talking about people not ringing the doorbell and, and generate, and I'm fascinated by the differences in generations where younger people don't ring the doorbell because they think it's stressful and rude. And, and I'm this thing, you know, if I order Postmates and it says, Bill is at your address. I know that he has to have the doorman, let him in. Then he has to go up the elevator and then he has to walk down the hall and then he has to knock on my door. So I might be, you know, in my bathroom, like, washing my face. But I'm like, I'll go to the door when the doorbell rings. But the kid in the different generation than me is going, I'm letting her know I'm here with my little app. She should be waiting at the door. And I'm like, no, no, I don't go to the door till I hear the sound, the Pavlovian ding-dong, and then I walk to the door. And, and we just don't see things similarly. So he gets there, and he's confused that I'm not at the door. So – What does he assume? Well, she must be busy. I don't want to bother her. So he did a teeny tiny little knock like that. I can't hear because I'm in the bathroom with, you know, all these, you know, water gushing podcast playing because I think what's going to break through the noise is the doorbell. And he doesn't ring. He didn't even see the doorbell. He doesn't ring the doorbell. And uh, then I go to the door and I said, oh, I'm sorry to keep you waiting why don't you ring the doorbell? And he goes, I didn't want to be rude. And I'm like, it's not rude. And he's like, I can't. And he just looked frozen. I go, it's our generations, right? And he was like, yeah. I go, I'm so fascinated by this. So it's totally a thing. And and what is so interesting is when I talk to younger people about this, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, they're like, well, you know, who just answers the door? It's like, who just answers the phone if you have a landline? I get that. But I'm talking about people that you're expecting. So if I call Susie and say, come over for dinner at 730 – At 7.30, if she texts me, I'm here, I think that's a really weird step that she's standing outside the door texting, I'm here, when there is a doorbell, and I'll go, who's ringing my doorbell? Well, it's 7.30, I told Susie to come over. It's probably Susie. It just seems weird, like an extra step to do the texting thing. If you just show up at someone's house and you're not expected, I totally get texting and saying, hey, I'm outside in my car. I just thought I'd drop by, like 100%. Then you're like giving that person... And out if they want one or if they're napping, you don't wake them up with the doorbell. That I a million percent get. And that was something we didn't have back in the day. You would either just have to know not to be fucking rude and show up at someone's house – but it, again, it wasn't really considered rude to just show up at people's houses because we had maybe we had less to do. So like if you were napping, you were like, I guess my nap's over now. Like, I don't know. Maybe it was a simpler time. But um, I really – so that's where I don't understand the doorbell thing when we get into those specifics of but I'm expecting you. and that, And I get your point where you're like, so then why aren't you at the door? And I'm like, I don't know because I've been trained since birth. So here's the article. I'll read it to you. And in my soothing, soothing voice. Hi everyone. Oh, so my point is that we adapt so quickly to everything, and I think we actually got, you know, I think we want our kids. I love it saying our I don't have children. I'm like, you know what? The kids, you know, all us parents. But I do you get to a certain age where and I don't know people with actual kids will be like, no, bitch, you don't know what it's like. But you get to a certain age and you just talk like a parent. I'm just like the kids, my kids. I don't even know. I'm I always just act like I'm a mom now. I just feel this is like, you know what period of life I'm in? Every woman goes through this. I'm Madonna ray of light. So I'm in my ray of light period. It's in your early 40s. It's right when Madonna was like, I'm maternal, like truth or dare. She's in her early 30s. She's maternal towards the backup dancers in kind of a condescending way. And she's like, they're all my kids, but she doesn't really know what it's like to have Actual children She just has hot gay men In her bed And she's like These are my children I'm like Not really (laughs) Anyway But In her early 40s She really wanted to Mother something And I think she'd had Lords at this time And she was really like I'm feeling maternal And so that's how I'm feeling Now I don't want to Get A hot Latin uh, Gym Instructor To knock me up And I don't want to Go through birth And having a kid So in that sense, Madonna, I'm not going to copy her, but I I do know what she means. Like I'm feeling just maternal towards the world, and uh, so I just now talk like like that. So I'm in my ray of light period. Um, my point is that we don't we want kids to experience what we did which was the joy of not being tethered to a phone and not letting the screen time affect our eyesight or our brains we don't want people to get short attention spans we want them to be able to read books we want them to be smart have the competitive edge also selfishly we don't want you to be dumb fucks because you're again as i always say you're dispensing the pills to us in the nursing home and i don't want someone who's like too lazy to read the entire word pe- allergic to penicillin you'll just get to all oh and then i'm just like choking on my own inflamed throat because that's what happens when I take penicillin so you know we just don't want you to be stupid right and there's this notion that like phones and shit make you stupid but then when we do it we're like oh it's fine though because you know my I, my job is on my phone and that's how we organize things and blah 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 blah. so but you realize you're working 24 7 now you know even though like yeah you're not on your phone doing in quote stupid meaningless shit but why are you working at midnight when you really don't have to be, you know, you're not running the world making decisions. Oh, well, it's 7am in Norway, and I have to make a decision of if we should bomb them, you know, so I need to be on my phone at midnight. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? I just was separated from my phone for about 10 minutes. And it freaked me out. Um, And it's here. I'm here. I'm here, baby. I'm here. So I will read you this article. Because It looks like Gen X are the hypocrites. So I think we just adapted so well, we fell in love with our phones. And you guys might be like, yeah, we've always had them, so it's not that big a deal to us. We kind of knew this would happen to you guys. So here we go. I'm going to take a drink, and I'm going to swallow away from the microphone to not upset my listeners who hate the sound of me swallowing. Okay. This was in the New York Times, May 29th. The kids are all right, but are the parents. Since 2016, adults have grown much more concerned about the time they spend on mobile devices, even as their teenage children have grown far less worried about their own use, according to a new report from Common Sense Media, a nonprofit children's advocacy and media ratings organization. If you're concerned about your own device use, which an increasing number of parents are, then you ought to be able to impart that wisdom to your kids, says James P. Steyer, the CEO. That's your job. The report, released on Wednesday and based on surveys of 500 pairs of parents and teenagers, I feel like that's not enough to like warrant an article. 500? I mean, maybe. Found that both groups have a complicated relationship with the devices and, of course, with each other. Most parents worry that their kids are addicted to the devices, but about 4 in 10 teenagers have the same concern about their parents. Here are a few of the report's key findings. Bleary-eyed moms, dads, and teenagers are everywhere. The findings that Mr. Steyer and the report's author, Michael Robb, said were most worrying related to how parents and teenagers allow mobile devices to interfere is with sleep. That's because... That's important because we know that healthy sleep is associated with a range of positive outcomes and poor sleep is related to a range of negative outcomes, said Mr. Robb. According to the survey conducted online and by phone in February and March, 26% of parents said they used a mobile device, such as a smartphone or tablet, within five minutes of going to sleep. The same shared acknowledged – oh, my God, I literally can't read because you can see I'm, like, saying words in the wrong place – Um, The same share acknowledged the same share. this This sentence doesn't make sense. The same share acknowledged waking up to check the device at least once during the night, while a slightly smaller share, oh, like a share of people. It's an annoying word to use. The same group acknowledged waking up to check the device at least once during the night, while a slightly smaller group, 23%, said they used a device within five minutes of waking up. Yes, yeah, see, I do too. It's like I have this little reminder, like time to meditate. And then I turn on my like little meditation app and I do a thing. And it's literally the first and last thing I do before bed. And I may not be doing in quotes unhealthy things. But, you know, I remember last night I couldn't find my phone before I was going to sleep. And I was like, but I need my phone. It's where my alarm is. And it's like I don't have an alarm anymore. I used to have an alarm clock. Like, you know, like it looked like a cartoon. Like those, you know, a clock next to your bed with two bells on it. Or I had a radio clock alarm and now I'm like I don't know how to set that that that's like how did I used to be so smart how did I know how to set a clock radio um you know it was weird it was like having a microwave next to your bed so anyway it was not like having a, I'm just trying to think of other things you have to set like twice a year you have to remember how to use the clock on your microwave after whatever daylight savings time um but yeah it was like oh I have to find my phone and uh I did I mean I was slightly panicked. Um, And by the way, I'm not worried about it, so I'm literally going to do nothing about any of this. This is my sort of like, fuck it, the world's ending, I don't smoke, I don't drink excessively, I don't do drugs, like, ugh, let me just play with a phone for fuck's sake. Anyway, according to the survey conducted online and by phone, 26% of parents said they used a mobile device, such as a smartphone or tablet, within five minutes of going to sleep. I already read that. Oh, my fucking God. Can you believe how dumb I am? The rates were higher among teenagers. 40% said they used a device within five minutes of going to sleep. I just read that already. Fucking A. It's a huge wake-up call, said Mr. Steyer, who, along with his wife and four children, sleeps with his phone in a separate room. Must be nice. Teenagers, were my, And I was also like, well, yeah, I put my phone in the other room. So when the murderer breaks in and he calls the police and goes, just a preemptive call to let you know I'm fine. So my voice does sound deeper, um, but I'm fine. And then he throws my phone out the window and then I'm in bed and he comes in with his axe. You know, I need the phone next to me so that in front of the murderer, I can call 911 and piss him off even more. So I don't even like making that joke because I'm very paranoid. Teenagers were more than twice as likely as adults to sleep with a phone in the bed. I don't do that. The study found and 29% of teenagers and 12% of adults admitting to that practice as well. The survey findings were adjusted to mirror the demographics of the actual parents population of parents with teenagers. Okay, whatever. Curiously... Uh, This company found that while parents feel increasingly glued to their phones, attitudes among teenagers are moving in the opposite direction. I'm so happy you guys are rejecting technology. Yay! We're going to go analog. I fucking feel it. I fucking feel it. We're going to use pens and papers. We're going to have landlines. We're not going to know who's calling. Do you understand the excitement and drama that we had in everyday life? the phone rang we're like who is it it was kind of a joy people came to the door we're like what's like everything was just a surprise it was it was nice we weren't afraid of talking to each other and and i'm not saying that you guys are afraid of talking to each other but even i've grown like oh i don't want to get on the phone and it's like this used to be the most exciting thing that you could do you know technology sometimes doesn't just add things to our lives it can take away so with the advent of texting, I never thought it would make me not want to talk on the phone anymore, but I used to be there with my flip phone in the 90s and you know, you were dating someone you'd call them, you'd talk to them, you have a chat, you know, see you later tonight. It wasn't just like weird awkward texting and and to text you had to, you know, if the J, K and the L was oh, J K L was on one button. You know, you had to double click and then you get the K and then you click again and get the L and you'd be like, "Clap, that's not a word, shit." And you'd have to like backspace. It was a lot to text. And we were like, this is stupid. This won't catch on. And then they improved it. And we thought, texting and talking on the phone, we have so many options. And then one day, we're like, who talks on the phone? But um, I do both. I do both equally. And I'm very proud of myself for it. Again, oh, hey, we have merchandise in the store if anybody is interested. We have Who Calls People. That's the new merch. If you're, like, resistant to phone calls, you can get a phone case that says it. You can get a computer case that says it, a T-shirt. And then we have one with a stressed-out computer that says, don't email me. And you can find the link to my merchandise by going to my website, jenkirkman.com. Click shop. And my lovely Tee Public merchandise store is there. And also right now, Christmas in July. So Christmas in July, uh, if you guys watch Hallmark movies, they're going to have two new christmas movies this july and in honor of christmas in july i am selling my christmas stock we put it back in the store it hasn't been there since christmas and you can buy it and you can you know get t-shirts or pillows or hoodies that say you know i forget like i hate fun and it has like christmas lights on it or i'm just a soul trapped in a i'm just a jolly old soul trapped in a body and it's like the little stick figure with a santa hat and i believe t public is designing me a brand new for the occasion christmas in july t-shirt so that should be ready right now go to jankirkman.com click shop and you can order it and by the time july rolls around you'll be wearing christmas stuff like the fun person that you are okay great so that's that little plug so, all right. So, great. So, teenagers are not using their phones. Um, it's interesting and unexpected. This year, for example, 52% of parents said they spent too much time on their mobile devices, nearly twice as much as 2016. I, I honestly think that is the state of the world that we're in, and we're checking the news every second. Among teenagers, only 39% said they s- spent um, too much time on their devices, a steep decline from 61%. The share of parents who felt addicted to their devices rose to 45%, while the share of teenagers who said the same fell from 50% down to 39 It wasn't clear why attitudes among parents and teenagers diverged, but Mr. Robb offered some theories. Um, he said parents may be internalizing widespread news coverage of the repercussions of smartphone use. Well, what does that mean? So they're using it more? That doesn't make sense. Children, on the other hand, may be suffering from normalization as fewer and fewer teenagers remember a time before such devices were ubiquitous. When it comes to actual use, though, both groups seem to have converged. Among parents, 42% said they checked their devices a few times an hour, while 43% of teens said the same. Well, then it's the same. Everyone is arguing less. What? One of the strangest findings of the survey, according to Mr. Robb, was that parents and teenagers were more worried about each other and arguing about their usage less. That's cute. Um, today, about 4 in 10 teenagers believe their parents are addicted or spend too much time on their mobile devices. And with parents, 6 in 10 worry about their children being addicted. <laughs> the other four are like, I don't give a fuck. Both kids and parents are arguing less, but at the same time, they are feeling that the other is more distracted. It isn't clear why families are arguing less about device use. They probably just fucking gave up. But Mr. Rob and Mr. Steyer said it might be caused by apathy or resignation. But see, listen, I get this. I don't have to be one of these people. I already know the answers. Um, there is some hope. About two-thirds of parents said they had family rules governing the use of mobile devices. We've been saying it for years here at Common Sense that you need to have sacred spaces. There are times and places where phones... In particular, but all digital platforms should not be there. The bedroom is the obvious one. I like that the parents are like, we need some rules around here. And it's like, well, you're the fucking ones doing it. Um, But I love it. And this brings me to. Okay, so I feel like, again, last week we talked about, I was sick and I watched Nazi movies. Now, (laughs) I'm going to remind you to three weeks ago when I was sick for the first time. My friend Tammy, if you guys came to my... Uh, show at the Hollywood Improv Lab um, last month, and we told stories. My friend Tammy, who's a delight, I interviewed her on an episode of They Seem Fun years ago. She's a wonderful friend of my beautiful soul. Tammy was telling me that she and her nine-year-old son are binge-watching the sitcom starring Bronson Pinchot and Mark Lynn Baker, perfect strangers from the 80s. And it's on Hulu now It is, it is wild It is wild what um, what gets up on Hulu now I'm like who would have thought Like, You know what's going to do well Perfect strangers And so I was like really And she's like you know it's really good And it kind of holds up Now I don't know if it's like as good as Tammy is saying But I think she's kind of right Because The um, it, Sorry I just like totally lost my train of thought See again Early onset people This is what it looks like So I think it's because Tammy's watching it with her kid That like she maybe thinks A little better than it is But she's not wrong So I remember reading This is This was always something That like I found out Later in life That that blew my mind Again I'm from a simpler time That I didn't realize And I should have realized This because I went To fucking acting school But I didn't realize Until I was Well into my adult years That a lot of these sitcom stars That are on like Non artsy fartsy But like really You know Goofy ass sitcoms Were Seriously trained actors. So Marklin Baker is like Yale drama, you know, genius actor and Bronson Pinchot as well. I mean, Mr. Brady was classically Shakespearean trained. And I believe he was always like, what the fuck with these scripts? I mean, Mr. Brady, honestly, Robert Reed, rest his soul. At a certain point, you just have to go, yeah, the scripts aren't going to be better than that, sir. You're never going to get to do a monologue with the word thigh in it. Like, just tell Marsha to clean her room and move on, get your check and go home. You can do summer stock if you want. So, anyway, but Bronson and Marklin Baker, really good actors. And they do such amazing physical comedy in this show. And I was, so I went down a rabbit hole of reading about their relationship. And what was cool about it is they started adding more, um, more physical comedy into the show on their own. and uh, But anyway, so I'm going to tell you about this Tom Cruise thing. You're like, wait, what? So Bronson Pinchot, uh, he was the guy that played Balky. So if you guys remember the show Taxi, where Andy Kaufman played um, Latka, and he was from a made-up island, and he'd be like, Well, Balky was a similar character. So this is what I love Perfect Strangers for, because it's a conceit that wouldn't happen with technology. The entire show would never have come to pass if there had been texting or cell phones. I mean, it's barely believable as it is. So here's the story. Balki Bartokomous is from an island in the Mediterranean called Mepos, and for some reason they speak perfect perfect English. And he decides to leave to move to America. So he knows that he has family in Madison, Wisconsin. So he shows up. He's a sheep herder in Mepos and he leaves his family, and it's it's great because this show is one of those classic opening, um, of like, a, nowadays, a show, you know, if you watch Barry, they have, you know, the first scene of the show, and someone gets shot, and Barry goes, it's going to be a long day, boom, it's like, dinner and it just says Barry, and that's the opening theme song, it's four seconds. Back in the 80s, they had to explain the whole backstory in the theme song, and it was usually 90 seconds, which these days, especially with commercials, that 90 seconds could have been, like, a cute little scene, but, so... I'll get into what the show is about So this is uh, the theme song To Perfect Strangers So we see Okay And it's always this cheesy music Sometimes the world looks perfect. Nothing to rearrange Yes So we see um, Marklin Baker You need some kind of change No matter what the odds are This time Nothing's gonna stand in my way All the sitcoms were that they, it was like Laverne and Shirley, too. Right. Standing tall on the wings of my dreams. I mean, quite dramatic for a sitcom. So basically, here's what's happening Marklin Baker is leaving his family of eight kids. I mean, they're all like pretty grown. He's got all these suitcases on his car and he drives my life, my dreams. Nothing's gonna stop me now. You know, Bosom Buddies had the same kind of theme song, too. And that's kids, that's why our generation were go-getters. These are the sitcoms, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to go get it. And I don't know what your shows are now. You don't have inspirational theme song openings. So you're not motivated by anything. You're like everything's horrible. The environment has 30 more years left. I can't go for my dreams cuz the baby boomers ruined it. And we didn't know that yet. We weren't sure. So we were still like, "We're going to fucking go for it, everybody." Like in a guitar solo and like we were just motivated by sitcom opening themes. And we When you're in a generation that doesn't have them, you have been failed. You have been failed. And I'm one of them, the TV writers of the generation that pumps material into young heads. Although I've never been in charge enough to say we need a theme song. That's never, you know, I've always been a lower level uh, staff writer. So I just want to let you guys know that if you're like, where did my parents fail me? Sure, they they might have. But television failed you because theme songs used to be how I learned motivation that maybe my parents couldn't have taught me. So anyway, in the opening theme song, you see Marklin Baker, whose name is Larry Appleton. He's driving from Madison, Wisconsin to Chicago. Then you see Balky Bartokamas. He is getting... And it's so funny because these names didn't come to me because I just refreshed two weeks ago. These names have been burned in my brain since 1984. These names are part of me. I don't even know my cousin's kids' names. I'm not kidding. But I know two fictional characters names and i know their life fucking story i'm like oh um uh larry appleton yeah well the reason he didn't want balky to move in is because he had eight brothers and sisters and this was finally a place of his own so <laughs> you could see it was pretty inconvenient so anyway we see balky leaving me and he hugs his family and i'm telling you the acting in the theme song is really good because he's saying goodbye to his family but the way he hugs his mom is different and he like tears up and gets emotional i'm like God damn it, the acting in the opening theme song is even amazing. And uh, he rides away on a wagon, and he's holding a stuffed sheep, you know, because that's his, like, security blanket. And his sign says, America or Burst. Not bust, Burst. So we know. Doesn't quite have a grasp of the American sayings. This will be fun. So anyway, this is how the freaking show starts. This could never be a show now. Larry Appleton's in his apartment doing nothing because there's nothing to do in the 80s. There's no computer. I mean, there's literally not personal computers yet. So you're like looking at the set going, wow, like it's just furniture. They're not a desk. I mean, there is a desk, but it's like where you keep your stamps. You know, it's like that used to be what desks were for. And so he, he has no personal computer, obviously no iPhone. And he's just in his apartment, you know, just kind of doing what people did, just sitting on the couch and reading a book. He's just reading a book and someone knocks on the door or rings the doorbell and he opens it and he's a like, cousin this is Bal. i am balke bartakamas and he goes okay um and he goes i w-. so balke drives to madison wisconsin from me or whatever he flies i mean the the opening themes on is him on a ship and he sees the statue of liberty and he's all excited that's <laughs> ridiculous it is so then he gets to madison wisconsin we don't see this but he explains it he went to see larry appleton's dad and larry appleton's dad goes oh no no no! you can't stay with us but where you want to go is chicago that's where larry lives cousin larry and he's like okay well but they're like fifth cousins you know so he shows up he's like i drove to your father's house and he said to come here with cousin larry and larry's like okay and he's like um you can stay for a night, but you can't live here. And he's like, I can't live here? What? And he's like all incredulous, like, why can't I live here? And it's like, he didn't do anything to prove that he's their cousin. I mean, he could just be a total psycho. But Larry's like, I guess you're my cousin. And he's like, okay, fine. You can stay for two nights until you get a job, which really isn't very good logic because if you get a job within two days, then you haven't earned even a week's salary. Like, Larry, don't be stupid. He's going to be with you for quite a while. So... And, you know, of course, it's uh, he has a one-bedroom, so Balky has to sleep on the couch, which is a pull-out bed. But, but he goes, Cousin, you really didn't know I was coming? He's like, Your father said he was going to call you. He goes, I guess he wasn't home when I called. And I'm like, What? That would not be a show now. It can't be a show. But back then, if you didn't, Catch the phone. That's it. And he probably didn't have an answering machine. Now, answering machines were definitely around then. I don't really know why he didn't. Maybe they weren't. I'm going to Google when answering machines were invented. Um, but that's the best part. Like, oh, well, logic of the show. I guess I guess I didn't know you were coming. Anyway, so while I look up while answering machines were invented, I want to tell you guys that I am sitting here. Oh, 1960. Okay. They, they started um, being more widely used in 1984 so let's see perfect strangers sitcom years Um, it premiered in 86 so there was I don't know listen maybe the dad didn't leave a message on the answering machine but on the show there are no answering machines in his apartment so not really sure why but um, in the pilot he didn't have one so but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm sitting here and I'm going to take a picture and put it on the website. I fell in love with this company and I found out about them because they were an advertiser on this podcast. I never wear shorts because they never fit right and they're always like too short or too long. And I'm obsessed with my new Everlane shorts. And I have a really cute, very easy breezy, breathable silk top on. I also got some awesome white pants from them, um, which looks so cool. Oh, my God. I'm just like obsessed and I went and got a bunch of stuff and I even used my own code. So go to Everlane E V E R L A N E dot com slash fun and you're gonna get free shipping on your first order. The clothes are so reasonably reasonably priced. Okay would you buy a t-shirt for 50 bucks if you knew it costs only seven to make i don't think so you probably have to though with most places with everlane you never overpay for quality clothes they make premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups they want you to know what you're paying for and why so they tell you their real costs and they're very transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with no matter what your style or preference everyone's clothes everlane's clothes look better they cost less and they they last longer they, they sell directly to you and their prices are 30 to 50 percent lower than traditional retailers essentials like their cotton crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be versatile simple stylish and these clothes are super stylish usually when it's like oh they're conscientious like oh great we I'm, I'm gonna wear a boxy bag these are adorable and i'm getting compliments all day on my shots um and i I've, I've worn their cashmere sweaters in the wintertime i've worn their black their black boots um, but they have premium Japanese denim made at the world's cleanest denim factory Italian made leather shoes outerwear made from recycled water bottles perfectly fit oxford shirts and right now you can check out their personalized collection at everlane.com/fun plus again free shipping on your first order that's everlane.com/fun e v e r l a n e.com/fun in 2018 they made a commitment to eliminate all virgin plastic from their supply chain by 2021 Again, Timeless Essentials, just what you're looking for. No frills, just quality. Angelina Jolie, people. And I was Googling. Okay, so I she turned 44 f- last week and we're the same age. And I will Google Angelina Jolie and Madonna, what they looked like at 44, just to make sure, like, am I as chic as them? Am I the woman I'm supposed to be? And I, you really feel this is like I'm Angelina Jolie going to South Africa to pick up some more children. Like, you know when she just looks all hot in her, like, kind of, like, Oh, I'm being an ambassador now and I have to wear cool, crisp linens and and silks, and I'm got my aviators. Like you're going to feel like that. Yes, even you men, men and women's clothing here at Everlane. Angelina Jolie, the Today Show, and NPR, they all love Everlane. I'm telling you guys, this is your this is your summer wardrobe, and you're not even gonna spend that much money. You could get like five things for like a couple hundred bucks. So let's do it. Everlane.com/slash fun free shipping for all y'all having funlessness listeners listeners. yay all right cool so anyway i'm loving perfect strangers because so many of the episodes couldn't really happen if there was internet or texting it's it's all it you know i just love it and it's um so i started going down this rabbit hole of reading about um what the actors are doing now and and you know they're both doing great but Bronson Pinchot was um, interviewed by the AV club the the onion you know the onions like non-joking um, website and he did this interview in 2009 and he just started shitting on Tom Cruise which was amazing because I don't know if you remember you didn't really do that back then especially when he wasn't like you know the biggest star but he was in risky business he played this guy named Barry I saw Ricky, risky business once it uh, did nothing for me I wish I could have the two hours back um, so they asked him about you know that movie and he said we didn't know it was going to be a big hit we thought Tom Cruise was the biggest bore on the face of the earth <laughs> he had spent some formative time with Sean Penn we were all very young at the time Tom was 20 I was 23. Tom had picked up this knack of calling everyone by their character names because that would probably make your performance better, and I don't agree with that. I think that acting is acting, and the rest of the time you should be you. But he called us by all of our character names. He was tense and made constant, constant, unrelated, homophobic comments like, you want some ice cream in case there are no gay people there? I mean, his lingo was larded with the most. There was no basis for it. It was like, it's a nice day. I'm glad there are no gay people standing here. Very, very strange. Years and years later, when people started to torment him with that, with that he was gay, I used to think, God, that's really fitting because he tormented a lot of people as a 20-year-old. He made such a big deal about it. Um, anyway, they said, do you think he was just insecure or that he was young? He goes, I really don't know. It is what it is. There's nothing I can add to it. If someone's 20 years old and every third line out of their their mouth is anti-something specific, then draw your own conclusion. I thought it was weird. Similarly, there's a certain type of middle-aged woman that will tell you within 20 seconds of meeting you that she can't find anyone to take her to bed. And that really strikes me as strange, too. Why are you telling me that? I don't like any kind of conversational agenda. It makes me uncomfortable. I just think it's weird. Unless you're with your best friends and you're being very silly, then you can do whatever you want. Um... Did you all have a sense that even though Tom Cruise was boring and unpleasant, he would be exciting on screen? Oh, no, said Bronson Pinchot. I thought the movie would disappear. It just goes to show you, I obviously don't have the antenna for that. I didn't see it at all, but neither did any of the actors. All of the actors who talked about him were like, what is this guy all about? And, you know, honestly, I never got it, and I don't get it to this day. He always talked about himself in the third person like he was a mega superstar. That was weird, too. (laughs) I love that he just does this whole interview taking him down. And so then this article came out um, a few months later. Bronson Pinchot explains himself after the Tom Cruise controversy. So now he's talking to Entertainment Weekly. Bronson Pinchot is trying to explain his way out of the mini feud that came to light yesterday between himself, Tom Cruise. Oh, he also said Denzel Washington was shitty, too. (laughs) So... He answered he, he answered questions from the Wall Street Journal, and what I love about it is he doesn't backpedal. He just piles on more, like, "Oh yeah, no, there's more." Um, so what he said in his follow up interview, where other people would back away and apologize, he said, um, "I wasn't joking about my comments regarding Cruz." Um, he said he was surprised by Cruz's homophobic language because of Pincho's own theater background where no one talked like that. In hindsight, for a 20-year-old with no background in theater, such language is actually unremarkable. I didn't know that when I was younger. I found, uh, in regards to Denzel Washington, he said, I found his willingness to be ungenerous, unkind, knowingly hurtful both mentally and physically to myself and the crew to be the saddest misuse of stardom I have ever experienced or hoped to experience. Oh, it's great. So now I'm like, Having a late in life love of Marklyn Baker and Bronson Pinchot. Good on you guys. You made eight years of quality American television in a simpler time for simpler people like myself. and you, you did great. Um, I, I highly recommend everyone watch an episode of Perfect Strangers and we can discuss it on the secret Facebook group for this podcast. If you go to facebook.com slash having Funless pod right there on the uh, pinned post, you can find the link. And you can ask to be let into the closed group. It's not a secret group, but it's closed. So if you make comments in it, no one else in any of your other Facebook areas can see it. And um, so there you go. I mean, I hope everybody is uh, continuing to buy my books. I can barely take care of myself. And uh, I know what I'm doing and other lies I tell myself, watch both my comedy specials on Netflix. Uh, I'm going to die alone and just keep living. And again, come see me on tour. I believe by now Europe should be on sale. Toronto's on sale. Boston, New York City. Everything. I think my Texas dates are on sale. Just go to JenKirkman.com. So let me tell you guys how it works. Usually when I put a show on sale, I sell anywhere from 50 to 300 tickets right away. And then it's five to 10 tickets a week. I get the ticket counts every week until the day of the show. And then it's either like 100 people come last minute or not. So... I hate watching the drib, drab, drib of five to ten tickets a week. I would love these Brooklyn shows to just sell out or show to sell out so that I don't have to do a ton of press for it. In Boston, it's a thousand-seat theater. I've sold maybe a little under 500. I'm worried I'm not going to sell it out. So can you guys, like, fucking buy that? That is – and normally other places I'm playing is only seats like 150. So it just depends. Like – Like, Birmingham, Alabama is a really small space, but I think I've only sold 50 tickets. So don't embarrass me. Get fucking tickets for that. You're always like, when are you coming to the South? All these people, when are you coming here? When are you coming there? And I come there, and you don't fucking come. Do you see why it annoys me? Why am I yelling at you guys? You're great. Um, I'm excited. So here's what happened. Uh, Bill Maher said this woman was on his show. She is a uh, congresswoman. And he was talking about abortion, and I think he thought he was being vulnerable or just a little edgy, but it really wasn't – we're just not in the mood right now, what with, you know, certain states such as the ones I'm playing, like um, Georgia and Alabama, you know, like literally stripping women of all their reproductive rights. And so he says something on his show on Real Time with Bill Maher to – um Representative Katie Porter from California, he says he's squishy on pro-choice because his mom almost didn't have him. And then she made a joke at him that was like fucking zing-zang-zoom perfect and brought down the house with a response. And he got so visibly angry that he – like if you've ever watched Johnny Carson, what people loved about Johnny was he was generous. I mean, look, I know he was like a prick in real life and blah, 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 blah. blah. But when you watch the show, he laughed so hard at the other comedians. He would just sit there and he acted like he was in the audience watching. You know, he would just let Don Rickles and and whoever was there, like, just riff, and he would just sit back and laugh. Smoke his cigarettes, have the best time. And that's really generous because you're not trying to be the funniest person there. And Bill Maher doesn't have that spirit of generosity. And that's why I find him uncomfortable to watch. And so I posted this and I said, oh my God, oh my God, look how uncomfortable Bill is. Like he wouldn't have survived being a woman comic for 14 seconds because all it is is being uncomfortable and people like smacking you down and, and blah, blah, blah. And so it got like, thousands of retweets and i was like holy shit and then all these people were like you should be on that show and it was this whole thing was like oh god i've been around for so long that people don't even know my story with that it's like when my first book came out my book about not wanting kids i was like obsessed with bill marshall i used to really love it he didn't used to really bother me now he does you know things change and i thought i'd be a great candidate to be on his show because you didn't have to be like famous famous as long as you like did something interesting and i know he always talked about not wanting kids and He even made a comment on his show once, like, I never meet women. I don't think he meant, like, romantically, but he meant, like, I never meet women that don't want kids. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to get on the show. So I hired a publicist for, you know, to get the word out about my book. And it was between her and someone else, the two publicists I interviewed. And one was his publicist. And I said, to be honest, I'm hiring you because I really want to get on his show. And she's like, "Oh, I think you'd be great. You know, she did what she could. She can't force anything. I had an hour-long phone call with his producer, who's a woman, who... She basically says, "Okay, well, you want to talk about your book, but, you know, what if you were on the panel? What are your politics? And so I, you know, God, I don't even want to know what my politics were back then. I was probably back in my Bernie Brewer years. So I'm like going on and on. And we're talking and um, I just didn't get on the show because he was probably like, I don't care. Like, I don't know her. You know, it it was totally fine. And like, if you have a Chelsea Handler and a Sarah Silverman on, they both don't have kids. So like, of course, you're going to have them on, not me, some dope that he doesn't know. And so I just never got on the show. Like, it's not a big deal. But like, no is no. Like, it's not happening, especially since that was the height of my visibility. Like, I'm less known now. So it's not going to happen. Not in a bad way. Like, dudes, there's so many people that could be on his show and he does one a week and 30 a year. Like, the odds are redinkadonk that I'm ever gonna get on it. There's so many qualified people. It's just like it's not a bad thing. So somebody wrote in the comments you should be on it, and I told that story, and people were like, that's bullshit. And I was like, no, like guys, we don't have to get upset about everything. Like I think Bill Maher's ridiculous with his comment, which I'll play for you in a minute, but like we don't have to get he didn't do anything wrong with not having me on the show. It was like it he probably never even knew I was trying to get on it. Things don't go past the producer. Like I worked on late night shows. Like Chelsea has no idea all the people that tried to get on. The producer just cycles people through because you know your host well enough to be like, they're not going to be that into it. And, you know, what? I have been awesome on the show? A fucking course. But they can't take that chance, you know, if they really don't know someone and there's no, like, tried and true proven thing. Like, she's on all the talk shows. So, you know, it's like, it's not a big deal. I'm not mad about it. And then people were like, we need to start a thing. And they would start, like, at Bill Maher, you know, like, snitch tagging, as it's called. And they'd be like, we gotta get you on the show. I'm like, oh, forget it. Why do I say anything out loud? Why do I say anything out loud when it's constantly misunderstood? But here's what he said. Y- you kind of had to be there, but... I mean, I'm a- squishy and always have been because they told my mother after my sister, very difficult birth, she shouldn't have another one. So knowing that I could have been on the cutting room floor, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but why is that so terrible? <laughs> I, I, but I get it. As long well, as it's look, still in your, you, you... Your mom made her choice. Yes. And we're all here yeah, with the saying... consequences of that choice. <laughs> Oh, he is so angry. The crowd's going wild. Nobody's laughed at one of his jokes like this ever. And you know what I love about it is she goes, look, your mom made her choice. And he's like, yeah, exactly. He doesn't know she's going for a joke because he doesn't assume women are going to be money. And she bong, 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 gets him. Oh, and he's so humiliated. I love it. A man in his own home humiliated. Ugh, I love it, he can't take a fucking joke Anyway, what? 26,000 likes Look at me Alright, so, it's not even anything I did That's why I'm saying it So That's what happened with that So we'll end on this Celebrities, look, I love uh, What's his name? Robert Danny Jr. One of my celeb crushes Don't go fucking telling him um, Oh god, I remember years ago He was in that movie with Zach um, Due Date and Zach was like, hey, if you want to come to set, you can meet him. And I was like, yes, please. And the day that he invited me to set, I had a fucking road gig and I had to fly to town. He was like, okay, it's either going to be this day, this week, or this day. And I'm like, please, I was on the other day. And my friend Brody got to go. And rest in peace, Brody. And I was going to talk a little bit about that, but I won't this week. But I was going to talk about when my friend died earlier this year and just like, I don't know, just kind of the reality of a friend who dies of suicide in a way that it's it's not always like sad clown boohoo it's like sometimes the relationships are really complex and it's it's confronting when they die but anyway my point is Brody got to go <laughs> oh it was great but uh yeah I was Zach tried for many times to get me in the same room with Robert Denny Jr now he's a married man he wasn't trying to set us up he was just um like he just knew I was a fan and uh it just never happened but anyway but no, here's the thing. I love Robert Denny Jr. I'm so glad he's no longer um a using addict. Obviously he's a sober addict. But you know, I know addicts, I know we all have an addict brain in a way, but like real hardcore addicts, like they're a little bit narcissistic. It's kind of a you know, and so like, okay, he's not like doing drugs anymore and causing mayhem, but now he's like thinking he's gonna save the world. So he does this thing. And part of me is like, I have to admit, I relaxed a little bit. I was like, maybe it can happen. But I don't think so. I don't know. So Robert Downey Jr. used part. Um, he went to this thing, uh, Amazon's Regarding Mars conference in Las Vegas. OK, so I don't even know what the fuck that is. I don't know how people know about it. Why Why can't us people get in? And uh, he used part of his opening keynote to announce the launch of a new organization that is committed to using advanced technologies for the good of the environment, the Footprint footprint coalition is scheduled to officially launch by April twenty twenty, which is good. That's about a year from now. That's that's good. Between robotics and nanotechnology, we could clean up the planet significantly, if not totally, in ten years, Downey Jr. said. Like that's quite a fucking promise. And it's just like, oh yeah, I play Tony Stark like evil genius or genius and you're like, maybe he can, but like, this seems crazy, right? It's the same as Donald Trump having a reality show where he's like, you fired. And then he gets on TV, he's like, I'll treat this country like a business. And everyone's like, okay. And then you're like, oh, wait, he doesn't do business that well. So, but you know, we're going to believe Robert Downey Jr., who, God bless, seems to have a healthy ego. Um, Downey Jr. said, relaying that he had been given these insights a few weeks back by a roundtable of experts. God, I love experts. They're like Wikipedia with character defects, he joked during his talk. Um, The announcement came at the end of a 20-plus minute freewheeling talk about artificial intelligence, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Downey Jr.'s own career, and the evolution of Tony Stark, which features cameos from Amazon's AI assistant Alexa, as well as Matt Damon. Sure, (laughs) he's everywhere who joined via video. The actor-director didn't share any details on how how the organization was going to achieve its goal, but he said... Even making a small dent could be the most important thing he's ever done. A website for the group went live after he left the stage... But currently features little more than a newsletter sign-up. I mean, even my website has more than that. If you join his newsletter and not mine, you're all fucking dead to me. Throughout his talk, Downey Jr. painted AI as a significant technological advancement that gave him hope, only to admit that he found himself alarmed over the state of the environment. I have this quiet sense of crisis, he said. Well, it's not quiet. It should be loud. Admitting that he had contributed more than others to the climate crisis. I'm a one-man carbon footprint nightmare colossus. Anyway, so we'll see. Is is Robert Downey Jr. gonna save the planet? Um, I think, I think it's a little egotistical, but you know what? Maybe it takes someone like that to get it done. Oh, everybody, Robert Downey Jr. is gonna save the planet. Kids are worried about us being addicted to our phones, and I long for a simpler time when a TV show could have eight seasons based on the fact that someone's dad called them and they missed the call and now they have to live with their fifth cousin from a fake island in the mediterranean that's when life was good until next week have fun